Join the conversation. Join the conversation. You're with Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca Davis, who's fighting phlegm. Hello, Rebecca. How goes the good fight? I'm very, very brave, as you pointed out. And also, John, maybe you should just take some mints out to be on the safe side. (laughs) I love that. Uh, we've um, We've had some that have been even more interesting, so interesting that we've not been able to read them out. But seriously, Rebecca, um, there's been a lot of chat around um, formal media and social media about Jeffrey Donson taking over the mayoral chain in his municipality, despite the fact that he has a conviction for statutory rape and his deputy mayor has a conviction for fraud. Yeah, and that outrage is totally legitimate, I think. But it's worth remembering also that just down the road in Beaufort West, is the extraordinary character Truman Prince, who's often referred to as colourful, which is one of those media euphemisms for basically undesirable. Truman Prince really is, I mean, words sort of fail me when discussing this person who has held various significant posts in public office from the municipal manager of Beaufort West to the mayor, etc. He was widely reported to be the key person behind patriotic alliances, success in that region. And Truman Prince is another of these characters who has a very, very dodgy track record when it comes to sexual assault matters, basically. He got a standard nine student pregnant while he was her teacher in the early 1990s. Thereafter, his his justification, which was delivered by a friend to the media, was that I didn't know how old she was. She was big boned. I mean, I find it unlikely that a teacher does not know how old their students are, but never mind. 2005, he was exposed in a TV documentary on child prostitution, where he was shown telling a 14-year-old girl he was be- she was beautiful, and then telling her in Afrikaans, stick your tongue out, God, I like it. So, John... The question is, how is it that these people are allowed to run for and win election? And those are obviously two separate questions. But perhaps the more salient one is why they're allowed to run. And, you know, the reason is because of this IEC Electoral Act regulation, which provides for candidates to run unless they have been sentenced to 12 months or more in prison for an offence with no option of a fine. So the sticky thing, for instance, in the case of Jeffrey Donson is that on appeal, his conviction for child rape was reduced to a suspended sentence and a fine. And in the case of Truman Prince, he was never prosecuted for his abuse of a student. But I think surely the time has come to ask, are there not certain crimes certain offences for which the penalty should be that you are not allowed to seek public office. And I mean, this is a difficult question because obviously, you know, these people would say if a court of the South African courts have found that this is an offence that is, you know, punishable via fine, then who is the ICU, who are the electoral courts to, to say differently? And obviously that is then a structural problem. But it is an issue that I think we have to consider because what on earth kind of message does it send in a country which purports to be serious about fighting gender-based violence that such characters are allowed to be in some of the highest offices in this land? And look, John, also there's an argument to be made that 
it's not just something like child rape that should disbar you from holding public office. That something like fraud, for which the deputy mayor, as you say, in Kanaland has been convicted, should be equally salient, given that you will have access to public funds at this time. I don't know what the right balance to strike would be. We obviously need to believe as a civilized democratic society in the possibility of rehabilitation and the rest. But given the current situation, it seems to me that all is not well, shall we put it like that? Yeah, uh, there needs to be a line, and the line has been drawn at that one year without the option of a fine level. And it it feels to me, it feels to me that that line is too far away. We should bring it closer to ourselves. But how much closer? I don't know. Any conviction for a certain set of categories of crime of which sexual violence and fraud are two of the six or eight or ten or however many there might be. So Perhaps, I mean, again, coming back to the, the issue would be that if our courts would reliably sentence people convicted of child rape, for instance, to significant custodial terms, then this would not arise. But in a situation where they appear fairly regularly not to be doing that and we must ask why not that is then perhaps there needs to be some scrutiny given of the electoral legislation and i mean the anc is in cahoots with these characters in the municipalities in which these characters are now leading political figures and again the anc's point is that they were convicted they've served their time or they were convicted but they weren't convicted of a crime which disqualifies them from standing as councillors so therefore we you know there's 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 nothing wrong in our working with them and i go well but actually there is there is nothing structurally legally wrong but there is something quite a lot morally and ethically wrong with your choosing to work with these people and I think that's doubly the case, given the attempts and good attempts, I think, made by the ANC to kind of clean up their councillor list. I mean, they they did appear to have a, a, a much keener list this year in terms of putting down these quite strict criteria for who was would be allowed to be councillors in terms of the step aside rule as well. And what does that all mean, we might ask, if, as you say, they're then willing to get into bed with such un, unsavoury characters? Well, Julius Malema didn't want to get into bed with Gayton McKenzie because he's an ex-convict as well. I did point out that Julius Malema, in many people's eyes, should be a current convict, but that is <laughs> another matter entirely. Okay, well, let us move on, shall we, to the the issue of men and their emotionality as compared with women. I am absolutely as I'm more emotional than most women I know, but my feeling would be that most of the men that I know are considerably less emotional than most of the women that I know. You've taken the wind out of my cells a bit there, John. Oh, sorry. But start, start off by suggesting that you might be an emotional person and you've just admitted it very brazenly which is excellent but then undermined it with the rest of your your statement so i love this study john because i think it's important and it's important because i think one of the most toxic negative gender stereotypes is the idea that women as a whole are more emotionally volatile than men. And it's toxic because it's actually been used in very practical ways to bar women from various opportunities. Things like holding higher office, for instance. People often say, you know, a woman can't be 
the commander of military forces because they're too emotional or in some cases that they can't be president or they can't be responsible for jobs in which very steely minded decisions need to be taken on a daily basis. So this study, which was undertaken by the University of Michigan and Purdue University, followed 142 men and women over 75 days and tracked their daily positive and negative emotions. I think it might be the first study of its kind. And it found that men and women's emotional stability and fluctuations are, and I quote, clearly, consistently and unmistakably more similar than they are different. In other words, men and women are pretty much as emotionally volatile as each other. And I also like the fact that they particularly included women who are menstruating and women who are on oral contraception to address another kind of shibboleth, which is that hormonal fluctuations play a huge role in women and their emotional volatility. And that was found simply not to be a particularly relevant factor. Now, this doesn't actually totally address what you were saying, John, because you said in your experience in your perception, you do find that the men you know tend to be less emotional than women. And the obvious good reason for that is that, well, they're just not allowed to show it, which remains a kind of social issue that that men are socialized to hide their emotions where women are more often encouraged or expected to show their emotions. But at the, the basis of it is that there is no biological basis for the belief that men and women are different when it comes to emotional volatility. And I really like that. I think that it would be very useful if that was widely shared in order to address some of these toxic beliefs. As I was saying that about most of the men that I hang out with are, in my view, less emotional than the the women I hang out with. As I was saying that, both Lexi and George were shaking their heads, disagreeing with, disagreeing with me. And I mean, I would, and, then, I would and it might well be that they are a generation younger than I am, and it may well be that the generation of men that they hang out with are not subjected to the same social pressure as the generation of men, a generation older, that I tend to hang out with. I think that's a very good point, John. And could it also be that the men you hang out with never have a chance to express their emotions because you're always crying? <laughs> that's something we must also perhaps factor in. Uh, oh, dear. Um, and something which makes me quite emotional is is to remember my dear departed mother and to have to acknowledge that she was always keener on seeing my children than she was on seeing me. Right. So this is something that delighted me because it also perfectly conforms to something I have noticed, which is my parents' enthusiasm for their grandson, my son, Miles. Um, to the point where, you know, misconduct from Miles, for which I would have been beaten like a drum in childhood, that kind of misconduct is greeted only with benevolence and smiles from his grandparents. And the question is, why should this be the case? Well, more research. You know, I like to bring you research. Yes. Emory University has just carried out the first study to examine only grandmothers, interestingly, not grandfathers, but to examine grandmothers' brain function. To suggest that grannies may, in fact, be more emotionally connected to their grandkids than to their own sons and daughters. And this is what the, the, what they did is that they did brain scanning and found out that the parts of the brain associated with emotional empathy in grandmothers lit up in their brains far more when they were looking at pictures of their children, of their grandchildren than of their children. So if you think that your parents are more excited to see 
your kids and they are to see you, well, you are entirely correct, and science has proved it. Thank you, Rebecca. May the fight against the phlegm be quickly won.